Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we're rolling along here. The summer is is rolling along, but that's what we want, right? We are cyclists. It's true. And as this episode is coming out, we are hopefully on a, a bit of a, a mini vacation, assuming all goes according to plan. Uh, so yeah, very excited. DW will be in the ocean for the first time this week. So definitely uh, watch our Instagram stories and maybe we'll we'll post one of him chasing some waves. I don't know. Do you think we can get him out in a kayak? Get real consummate athlete on it? No, I don't think so. I think he'd love it. I think it'll be great. Anyway, uh, today's episode is actually all about cycling uh, with Coach Lucas Wall. He runs Develo Coaching out of Michigan, and I actually met him. Uh, if you don't know, I do a lot of work with Jukebox Cycling. I'm their content director, and I had actually talked to him because he is Alexi Remulin's coach, and Alexi was on the podcast before. He's one of my favorite racers, not just because he has – okay, it's mostly because he has an adorable dachshund, Sir Willie the Wiener, who rides around with him in a backpack – uh, that, that's why I initially liked Alexi, but also because he's one of the most meticulous athletes I've ever met as far as someone who uh, loves packing almost as much as I do and like organizing gear and stuff. Let me tell you, his, his gear, he's, he's shown me his garage before and it's a work of art. It's so good. Uh, but anyway, I, I wanted to talk to his coach because actually, so Alexi and Lucas have been working together for almost 20 years right you said they started again lucas worked mostly with youth you know. yeah and he started with alexi when alexi was 12 so to stay coaching someone for that long through world tour is, and then now into this kind of second iteration of alexi's career as a pro cyclist is just really impressive and it's cool hearing about uh, just how their relationship evolved over the years. Alexi talked about it a bit in the episode we did with him. Uh, Lucas actually talked about it over on the blog at jukeboxcycling.com if you wanted to go read more of that. But when I was talking to him for that, we just started talking about all of this, like just coaching philosophy and like just pl- regular, like on bike training and, you know, what he's doing with youth programming and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh my gosh, so much of what he says really echoes our sort of four consummate athlete sees confidence, consistency, community, and cross-training. And I was like, we have to get you on the podcast. So here he is. And whether you're just trying to take your cycling to the next level and you're just kind of wondering, you know, what, what some of the, the popular thoughts around or what some of, you know, a coach's thoughts around popular training things are right now, uh, we talk about that stuff. But then we also talk about what he sees in youth cycling nowadays and sort of the best practices for getting your kid into bikes and keeping your kid in bikes as it were. That's right. Yeah. And, and trying to make it fun and, you know, still chasing, you know, the, any hope of, of doing well with cycling and whatever that means. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it, it's tough, I think, as a parent to, to balance that. Well, and we always talk about this with development athletes. There's this really awkward time where the focus should be on fun, but if there isn't, development happening then very quickly you're almost in that like too late phase and not too late forever but too late for uh, you know to be racing at the highest level for junior to get on national team programming and stuff like that so it's a really tricky time like I 
for all the parents out there with like young cyclists with big goals, like I salute you guys. It's it's a tough road. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't think there's a lot we can do. I think is the the consensus, right? So as long as it's fun, uh, mm. but there's lots of professional cyclists who have gone, you know, long into the sport and didn't even really do it uh, till late, right? And we know, yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. So never panic if your kid wants to take a few years off. That's totally fine. The goal is much more. Well, let alone life. a month. Like I just was talking oh, yeah. to someone this week about like, oh, my kid's away for a month, and I was like, oh, that seems fine. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're they're twelve. We're thinking lifelong athletes, not athletes all the time mm-hmm. yeah you can go to camp you, you're allowed to you know do that so or play different sports or just not do anything organized for a couple of months i think that's that's great mm-hmm. um but i do like i like that as you say you pulled out some of the cross training stuff with the cross-country skiing uh some stuff around youth development and then i'm sure there's training concepts as well for the rest of us yes including a, a pretty interesting discussion i think on on metrics and wearables and sort of right. all of the close data that, that comes in yeah just very close to our heart uh, but before we get into it just a quick word from today's sponsor athletic greens and their ag1 supplement which is a multivitamin prebiotic probiotic packed with adaptogens, sort of all the good stuff (laughs) all in one place, which is a big part of why we really like it. Uh, It's just really taken a lot of the, the stress out of trying to figure out which things to take or like just, you know, racking our brain over reading a billion different labels. Uh, This one is just boom. It kind of has everything you, you want. It's also NSF certified. So what's in it is what's in it, which I very deeply care about whether or not you're getting tested as an athlete. Uh, just knowing what's in any of these uh, potions and pills that you're taking is super, super important. Uh, there have been studies that have come out where it's like, I think it's like 75% of protein powders have arsenic in them or heavy metals, uh, which is just it sounds it sounds just completely bonkers but that is unfortunately the case so it's really nice to take stuff that you know exactly what you're getting uh yeah and also i think it's delicious you know what i heard on another another podcast who has ag1 as their sponsor that they don't like the taste i love it right yeah i know it's a great like compared to some of the greens powders i've had it's it's quite quite good yeah like i mean it's not it's not orange juice but it's it's honestly pretty close as far as like tastiness goes in the morning and you know i've said it before i just like that it makes me wake up and drink a giant glass of water start my day hydrated which is very key right now when i'm sweating even recording this uh so yeah i i just think it's it's one of the best things that i've done for myself in the past like 10 months and you know i've gotten it for my dad we've given it to your dad like it's yeah, just something we we genuinely believe in. And honestly, it is cheaper than getting all of these different supplements. You know, as soon as you get like two or three, suddenly you're way over a hundred bucks a month easily. That's right. And it's one of the th- questions I ask on my intake form is, you know, list out all the supplements and potions and powders and whatever you're taking. Uh, <laughs> Page one of seven. <laughs> right, right. And it's, you know, you have to ask a couple times because not everyone considers everything, you know, part of those supplements. But yeah, it adds up really quickly. So, you know, if we can get something that's NSF certified, you know, has good stuff in it uh, and has a lot of things you're already buying, you know, maybe from Walmart or trying to get find deals on, uh, we maybe eliminate some of those, the risks down the road uh, and certainly, you know, save some money as well. Exactly. And to make it even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel 
travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H because consummate was too hard to spell. So again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. And I've now heard from a few people who have used this link and done this and are just really liking having Athletic Greens as part of their daily routine. So if you do the same, definitely hit us up, let us know. Uh, and let me know what you think it tastes like because I'm standing by my papaya vanilla and I actually couldn't even tell you what papaya really tastes like, but that's what I feel like it tastes like. So <laughs> that's where we're at. All right, let's get into this episode. Enjoy my chat with Lucas Wall. Lucas, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I am very excited to have you on to, to chat about all things training related. How's it going? Uh, thanks for having me. It's going going really well. Nice. So what's uh, what's your training looked like this week? Just to kind of kick things off with that note. I mean, you know, we're, my, we're my talking training... coaching, but uh, I know you're into it too. I, I I like to do things when I can. I would say that uh, I tend to be a lot more uh, living vicariously and training vicariously through my athletes these days. Uh, I think today I'll actually finally get to get out on the bike for the first time in a couple of weeks. So um, yeah, it, ha- it hasn't been wonderful from a training standpoint, but that's, you know, schedule kind of goes like that sometimes. Such is life. Yeah. So let's let's back up. How did you get into the whole coaching game? Like go way back. <laughs> yeah, if we go way back, you know, my family got into cycling. My dad was into kind of doing tours. And from that, my older brother got into racing. And I thought that was awesome. So I needed to race. And um, so I think I started racing about uh, when I was 10 and raced for, you know, more than a decade, um, quite a bit. Uh and as I got into graduate school and things like that, and I still rode and, and did a little bit here and there, um, but I had a first career and then at some point decided, hey, I really want to do something different. And I decided to, to make a career shift and, and went back and did some master's work in exercise science and uh, and and had at that point I already started doing some coaching, but that's been that's been my focus uh, ever since. So, um, you know, really turning kind of a hobby and passion into into job. Um, you know, some people say don't do that, but it's it's been good for me, so I, I can't complain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, when you went back for exercise science, was there like one part of it in particular that sort of like you were particularly interested in, or was it just kind of the whole general body think, of work? You know, the, the whole thing was really interesting to me. I had, as I was younger, you know, even junior high, high school, had really been interested in biology, um, athletic training, anatomy. Um, so all those things were, were had been a long-time interest of mine. So it wasn't um, one as, as though I hadn't thought about a, a different career at any point in my life. Uh, and, or, you know, I had thought about those things. It, it wasn't a new idea as I was coming to that later on. Um, so it was really quite a bit of it that was there. One of those things that was always interesting, uh, is just kind of the, the mechanics of cycling. Some of that is, you know, can be aerodynamics and that wasn't necessarily something I was ever educated in, um, but trying to learn. Um, but the, the biomechanics side, I think was probably the biggest surprise of what I learned in exercise science that I found it it just hadn't really been on my radar as, as a huge topic, um, at least diving deep into, you know, in terms of mechanics of of movement and things like that, I was interested. So that was a part that I was, I really enjoyed kind of learning about, uh, the program I went through did a lot of the research focus, uh, there was within running, um, because main professor, 
that's that's where his research was. Um, and the mechanics, biomechanics of running are much more complicated than cycling. Oh, see, I was um, so, actually just going to say maybe the opposite was true because now that you had me thinking about it, you're dealing with not just biomechanics like of the human, but then you also have the mechanics of the bike and everything on that can completely change how it, you're riding. Like, absolutely. Yeah. If you think about it as a system, I'm not going to make any claims about which one's more, more complicated in terms of the biomechanics of cycling, just that, you know, the, the pure human mechanics of that. Um, running is definitely more complicated. There are more, there are more details or more movement patterns. There's, I, uh, people talk about the biomechanics of cycling. And I basically say there are two levers attached to your feet and, and you pedal in circles. It's, it's very, very simple. Um, and that simplicity in terms of mechanics is actually really cool because it's enabled us to measure power and have that be super accurate. Um, running there are there are power meters in running there are ways to measure power with running and in other sports um but in cross-country skiing is another sport that that i personally have an interest in and i haven't followed closely enough i, I don't know if people are measuring power in cross-country skiing um but many other sports there's kind of this intermittent application of force and then there's you know a coast or glide or or you know, airborne sort of portion of, of the movement cycling. We don't really have that. Um, you know, we talk about dead spots at the top or bottom of pedal strokes, but for the most part, it's really easy to measure. And so we can quantify things in cycling and really get a, a, a thorough understanding of what's happening from an input and output standpoint that you can't do in other sports. Um, yeah, yeah that makes so sense. from a research standpoint that, you know, I, I think it's narrow, <laughs> which is why, professor I worked with, he always loved uh, running because there was just many more questions to explore. Um, but from a practical and coaching standpoint, I really appreciate that we don't have a million different variables to work with in cycling. Um, you know, there's See, already enough things I, I don't to, know. to focus on. So I'm, I, I appreciate I that there's still, some simplicity. I might still push back on this because I think with running, uh, you know, what we've seen in the research lately is like this idea that your run stride just kind of is what it is. And it's probably the optimal thing for you. And you wouldn't really like try to play too much with your like run cadence or like how your stride works or mm -hmm. really what your body's doing on the bike. There are just so many little tweaks that we constantly are like getting told to make or asked to make or, you know, trying to make to like completely change, you know, might only be a few watts, but like, oh my gosh, even the difference a saddle can make, right? Like, right. Yep. It's yep. huge. So there's just so many other inputs, I think. So I don't know. I think, I think cycling might be the more complicated one. I think at some point it'd be great to get an expert in about cycling, what about running and talk about some of those. Um, in running, um, there are some things that just come naturally and we tend to, uh, tend to move towards what's most efficient for us as runners. So there's definitely that, that natural element at the same time, we may do that with the, the physiology that we have and the anatomy that we have, but that may also mean that there's an imbalance or there's a weakness in a certain area. There's a lack of mobility in a certain area. And so then those are, are, are functional things that a person can work on and improve. And now suddenly you've changed your gait in a certain way because your sure. posture is different and that's much more effective. Um, so there's some of those, those kind of behind the scenes tweaks to running that I think are probably harder to identify. Um, but it, because it's enough of an interest area, I, I listen and, you know, occasionally I run into somebody who talks about those and I'm like, yeah, that, you know, they, they really kind of understand and go into the analysis of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, you know, 
biomechanics is something you can dive into. I'm not an expert in that area, um, but definitely find um, and appreciate the value in that for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to come back to is you mentioned getting into racing when you were 10 years old. So a lot mm-hmm. of the people who listen to the show are in fact, parents of young kids. So yeah. any, uh, now you're kind of like able to look back on your trajectory in this, any like do's and don'ts for parents with kids in that age range, as far as like competition and riding and stuff go. Yeah. I mean, I have lots of opinions for both from experience, personal experience, the friends that I went through in you know, junior programs with, um, but then also juniors are, are an age group that I enjoy coaching. So I've had a lot of experience kind of on the, the, the other end of it. Um, I, there's definitely an element that it needs to be driven by that kid. You know, what are they motivated? What are they interested in? Um, you know, I've seen lots of cases where the kid comes in and they have a lot of passion and interest and they're the person who's driving it. Uh, I've seen some where the parent is clearly the one who's driving that. Uh, and, you know, sometimes the kid gets into it. Sometimes they they, they st- stick with it and sometimes not right? Just that a little bit more of a mixed bag. Um, I think cycling offers the opportunity to explore so many just life lessons. And, you know, part of that is goal setting. Um, I often talk about with my athletes, you, you run a company of me and you're the CEO and there's lots of other people that need to be there to help make that happen. Um, but I think we can teach juniors how to, how to set up goals, how to, um, figure out, you know, travel and expenses and all these things. And so, um, you know, definitely to some degree, we need to include the kids in making those decisions. Um, you know, unlike soccer or a bunch of other sports where there's a schedule, there is a um, you know, sw- swimming is another one. It's like super structured. You know, there's a v- very mm-hmm. much a, a schedule to that. There are time standards. Um, there are formats. You know, it's an individual sport, but because it's so structured, there's not as, as much kind of... Um, self-direction that's involved with that. Whereas I think cycling really requires it because there's so little structure. Yeah. Um, so I think from a, you know, parent perspective, getting into to juniors uh, racing, one is learn, um, expect that it's going to take a while. Um, there's not a manual on how to get started. So just expect this is a multi-year sort of thing. Take advantage of clubs. Um, there's clubs in, in the area. Those are, are super important ways. Um, cycling's a social sport. Uh, and so it, it's definitely a matter of getting to know people. That doesn't mean you have to be outgoing <laughs> um, necessarily, but at least take advantage of some of the resources. Um, and then try try different formats. Sometimes people are thinking, you know, I want to race road or I want my kid to try out road or I want them to try out this. Um, but the opportunities are really in your area might be more in cycle cross or more in mountain biking or something like that. Um, and I really encourage people to try out different disciplines. Um, I, mountain bike and cycle cross tend to be attractive. You're not on the roads. You don't have to worry about do my kid number one safety, but also, you know, do my kids know the rules of the road? Do they know how to navigate on streets and things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so get, get involved where, where you can, because then lots of times people transition later on, they find out what they're truly interested in. They get a chance to maybe try some things and they transition. Um, the other thing is as, as kids come into the sport, I was somebody who I played basketball. I tried soccer. Um, I ran cross country, uh, trying to think I did some track cross-country skiing at some point I did speed skating um I tried 
just about everything I could, I, I could either, you know, informally or formally. Um, but, you know, track cross country, um, cross country skiing and cycling and basketball are things that I kind of did throughout my teenage years. Um, I think that made me a better athlete. I don't necessarily think that always made me a better cyclist. Um, but I think we also have to think with kids, you know, are we trying to make the Tour de France realistically? Are, are we trying to um, have them learn some life lessons, find some passions, be active, um, you know, be engaged in some sort of community? And, you know, those could could develop in any of those, those different areas. Um, one of the things I've observed is the the trend in sports for a lot of reasons is specializing in a sport. Um, I would discourage people from doing that. Um, I would actually actively discourage them from doing that. Um, we tend to see way more overuse injuries. We tend to see way more burnout. We tend to see fewer lifelong skills developed in terms of activity and sport. Um, so I very much think that people should um, have experiences in multiple activities and sports. Um, and I also see that if people stick with a sport for a long time, the activities and the experiences, the, the physical movements, the, the kind of mental awareness, um, all these different things mentally and physically that we learn in other sports tend to have some transfer over, uh, and there are skills that you don't necessarily develop naturally, but become a benefit in a different, um, context. Uh, so completely different sports or within cycling, different disciplines. I really encourage kids in particular to try those out. I think that's true. Also people are coming to a sport later. Definitely. And especially, I think, you, you know, you mentioned road kids early on. I cannot stress enough how important I feel like mountain bike and cross are for road kids. Like, I mean, if we're watching the tour, right? Like how many crashes are avoided by the cyclocross people because they can dive into the ditch and like ride the grass. So it's like, even if they stay in the, like on the road, learning just some of those basic bike handling skills are just yep. so useful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then I always tell people track is fantastic. Um, I mean, it's fixed gear. It's close, tight racing. You have to anticipate what is going on. You have to learn how to flow with the other riders in a way you just can't. And other, you know, the, you're not forced to understand those things in the same way on the road. Cause you're like, I just hit my brakes Well, track. That's not an option. You have to understand how it all flows. Um, and I find that just the, the amount of, of repetitions of race practice, you know, you do these short races over and over. And so, you know, you'd go do one race in a weekend, whereas you go to an evening of track racing, you did four different races. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, yes, they're different events, but the repetitions, the, the skills transfer over so well. Um, it's kind of like doing a skills focused activity where you get a whole ton of reps in a short amount of time versus, you know, going to ride a mountain bike trail, you can go just go ride a trail and you're going to practice skills along the way. But if what you really need to do is focus on an area of, you know, this type of cornering is what I need to learn how to do. And there's a drill you can do. You can spend 20 minutes and get 20 reps out of that, or you can go ride a trail and for two hours and maybe get 10 reps out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like track racing is kind of one of those things where it's a minimal amount of time for a maximal amount of kind of that group riding experience. And I could come up with examples across all the different disciplines, um, mm-hmm. because that's so true. There's things that different disciplines demand that are helpful in other areas, but they're just, you don't focus on them. So they're harder to develop if you only do in one area. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm a huge advocate for trying different areas. Um, and I think maybe now, the would other you say thing that's like, helpful. 
sorry uh would you say oh, that's also would, is that also like true for the adult audience listening to this too because i feel like there are going to be some people that are like okay so my kid's gonna get in all these disciplines i'm gonna stick to the road right yeah um i definitely think that adults should do it and maybe it's harder but i think it's maybe even more helpful um i always remember that the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until you're 25 so kids kids are dumb and risky um when it comes to how to do stuff and so you know they just sit in a field and they don't think about it um they learn how to how to slide through gaps in a field and you know they don't really bat an eyelash at it <laughs> where when you're 35 coming to a sport and you're like i'm supposed to do uh, like what with that hole <laughs> like no and so they just never learn some of those skills um whereas if you're, you're in a discipline that demands, you know, how do you corner? How do you fit through gaps? How do you do some of these things? How do you anticipate what's coming from behind? The, you learn skills that then help you out on the road. Um, and the other part of that is just play. You know, I, I think sometimes we get so focused on, I have to go fast. Um, you know, I'm going to ride the trainer all winter and I'm going to come out super fast, but then they show up at a race and they're super strong, but they don't know how to race a bike. Um, and so that is absolutely a key to it. And I feel like when we do different disciplines, there tends to be a little bit more fun involved. There are different scenarios. We tend to, to learn lessons simply through enjoyment and exploration, even as adults that end up helping us when we go do those events. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that leads us to something that we kind of touched on the last time you and I spoke uh, when we were talking about Alexei Vermeule and his training uh, was this idea of I was asking you just your thoughts on like things like wearables and just data collection and overload and stuff. And I think this is where the trainer note that you just made comes into play is like, yeah. you know, if we're playing on our like dirt jumper at the bike park and, you know, mm -hmm. maybe we're really crushing some skill practice here it's not going to load as well on my, on my whoop. So I'd rather it just doesn't. spend my time on the, the trainer and do the precise wattage and uh, right. get that like green light on my, uh, <laughs> on yeah. my recovery. Score yeah. I, um, <laughs> no, I mean, you're totally right. And I sometimes think about how do we quantify these things? Because, you know, whether it's a goal chart or training peaks, you know, you see your green thing in the calendar or you're looking at your, you know, your power curve and, you know, what are my best over time? Um, that's feedback that, you know, you can genuinely see I'm doing this, it's working, I'm progressing in these areas. Um, we don't have those in the same way for the skills areas. We don't, you know, there's not a... There's not a handbook of cycling that says these are the skills you need to know. These are the different levels within each of these skills. You are currently ranked at a three out of five on this skill. Uh, I think if we had ways to measure those, then people would be super excited about, I'm going to do skills practice because I want to move from a three to a four in you know, this area. Um, one of the things I do as a coach is, is new rider clinics. And so um, the, our, our local club here, the Amber Velo Club, has had a spring training series for 35-ish years. Um, and since I've been in the area, we've always, and I know it started before I was here, but we've always done some sort of skills. Uh, and that is, has become a series where we work through how do you ride in a group? So it's not the mechanics of riding a bike. Those are important. But in, in this context, we just focus on how do you ride in a group? And those are super important things to know. Um, 
want to be efficient and kind of go fast in a group, um, but obviously just to be safe. Uh, but then being comfortable, being confident and having fun with it. And you know, if you come into the sport as a junior and you're doing group rides and having fun with it and you kind of learn as you go, I, I, you pick up some of those skills over time. Uh, I think it's hard when you come in as an adult, but it'd be nice if we had that chart and people could say, you know, I'm a, I'm at level three in terms of my baseline skills. You know, I need to work on how to do this better or smoother to move up to a four in this area. Um, you know, and that gets the whole, it's nice to see the data. The flip side is tracking all that is like, it's crazy. And so, yeah, if you're looking at HRV and, you know, whether, no matter what system you're using to do that, um, you know, how do I interpret that data is also can, can be difficult. Mm -hmm. So you know, my philosophy to approaching that is, is kind of taking a holistic, you know, what are our goals, um, takes time to do a little bit of reflection in terms of where am, where am I now? Where have I been? Where am I going? So we get a little bit of past, present and future sort of perspective uh, because I do feel like it's really hard to measure skills. It's really hard to measure some of those subjective, you know, how am I feeling? How am I doing? Um, where's my confidence at? You know, how did I feel like I executed in that workout? There are ways to put numbers on those. It's hard to be consistent with that over time. Um, they don't always give us actionable data, especially in the short term. And yeah, you so mentioned the confidence there. And I think that's actually my huge problem with it is I find that a lot of these uh, apps and wearables and stuff, I feel like they actually kind of mess with your confidence, right? Like when you do a ride and it's like, that's going to be 96 hours of recovery time where you wake up and you're <laughs> things like, you slept like crap you shouldn't yeah. create like <laughs> your training's going to suck today. And you're like, ah, I suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no faster um, way to just like feel terrible about yourself. I wore an aura ring for like two days. And it was like, you're not moving enough. And I was like, I did a 20 mile run on one of these days. Come on. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your Apple watch ring, uh, rings didn't, didn't close, even though you just did, you know, a two hour mountain bike yeah. ride. But you didn't have your watch on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it doesn't capture some of the data. And then sometimes it says you're tired when that's the whole goal. I mean, you know, you're, you're exactly. training and one of the simple <laughs> concepts of training is to overload. And so if you went and did a hard ride, you should be tired the next day. Um, no, we, you can get into the philosophy of what should the next day be a hard day or not. Um, but I think regardless of philosophy, there are going to be scenarios where whether it's racing or an intentional overload over, you know, not just one day, but multiple days or multiple weeks that you may see some some numbers that are low that say, you know, you should take a break or, you know, you're tired. Um, and that may all be true, but that's where you have to kind of go back to what's my intention. Um, and if your intention is to be creating overload and it's telling your overload, then that's not saying stop. That's saying keep doing what you're doing with the same plan in mind. Okay. Um, and obviously, at some point, you got to build in the rest. But maybe that you know, quote unquote, bad number. Sometimes we attach these meanings to numbers that are. That's the subjective part. The number is just trying to be information, and we say, well, that's a bad number. And sometimes that's not a bad number. In this case, you know, you're trying to overload. It says you're overloading. You're accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish. Yep. Uh, but then we also have to, to to reflect, did I do that in training? Is that why I'm showing up with HRV that is low? It's showing I have more stress because it was training. 
Or is that because I have an event going on in my life that is causing me stress? You know, I'm traveling or I went to high elevation or um, I have a couple of athletes I'm coaching right now who are getting married in coming months. And so I'm like, these are huge, stressful life events, even if they're positive. And so, you know, those are things to keep in mind. Uh, so we have to think about the context. That's huge. What you just said about the positive things that are still huge stressors. Um, that's something we... I don't know if you see this all the time. We see it constantly. People who have like a big business conference or a vacation the week before mm -hmm. Leadville. And we're just like, yeah, okay, so this is positive. Mm -hmm. Like it's a positive event. It's still going to kick the crap out of you as far as like yeah. stress goes. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are sometimes elite athletes who have, you know, sponsorship responsibilities. They still have families they need to recognize, you know, in terms of their life events and you need to go do those. Um, and I think part of that is normalizing that those are okay activities to do. Um, sometimes they're not placed ideally based upon our cycling goals and that's okay. Um, but I think if we recognize going in that that is not, it's not a death knell to your goals. It is kind of part of the process and we plan for that. Um, one of the things I try and challenge in my athletes is, is the idea of being perfect or ideal because few things truly are. I think we have this notion that, you know, coming into an event, you have this big build and then, you know, you taper and it's supposed to have this perfect progression. Um, and I once heard that there was this pro athlete who there, something happened and their taper started too soon. And then they weren't, you know, at peak form for their big event. And so I've got to time these things perfectly. Um, you know, the Olympic athlete lives in a different world than, than us normal people who have jobs and, and things. And so I, I think understanding that those big events are part of life that we, we include in our training, we don't try to skate over. Um, and I think, you know, that has genuinely worked better. I've had athletes who are you know, trying to stress about that and try and take a pause and say, you know, let's, let's recognize these are going to happen and make them a part of life so that you are actively engaged in different areas of your life rather than trying to push everything else aside, focus only on cycling. And then at the detriment of that, we, most people can't just do cycling 24, seven, 365. There's yep. other things that have to have, have to happen. Um, and if we just kind of recognize and integrate those, I find that long-term that tends to go a lot better rather than essentially just create a scenario for burnout. Yeah. And I'll oh. say in the past week, I've actually talked to two, uh, two Olympic mountain bikers who both said that like this past year, they've just been completely screwed. Like since the Olympics, it has just been like a steep, just like drop off because mm -hmm. of that. Right. Like you're prepping for this one event for years and like yes. trying to be absolutely perfect for it. So like even the people who did that then have right? like a huge, yep. there's a huge reckoning that comes from that. Yeah. So it's like one of those reminders that like, okay, yeah, they had the, they had the perfect like build up or, you know, as perfect as they could get it. And they still were just like wrecked after. So it's not like, oh, yeah, this just continues. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've heard many stories of, about that, of Olympic athletes, uh, you know, as you describe it, it's that singular focus for an event. Um, but that's not sustainable forever. You know, even at that level, uh, I think swimming has, uh, the Olympics are such a huge focus in swimming that at the top level, they often have a four-year cycle. Um, and if you think back to who are some of the biggest swimmers of you know the last couple of decades, 
the year after the Olympics, they kind of all disappear. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the second year after you like start to hear of them in the third year, you're like, oh, they're still swimming. They're doing really well. Huh. <laughs> the fourth year, they're, you know, they're flying again. Um, and that's not by accident. You know, some mm-hmm. of that is, is, they, is planned. Some of that is, is, is the letdown after that. Um, but most of us kind of, you know, working athletes don't have the opportunity to work on a four-year cycle. And we have to integrate some of life's events on a more ongoing basis. Uh, so uh, I think kind of recognizing there are going to be those interruptions and and trying to work with that rather than battle against its intrusion into our, our athletic lives um, Definitely. tends to make it easier mentally to really just go with the flow and, and pre-plan for some of those things, um, enjoy mm-hmm. the process, and then longer term be more consistent. And, yeah. 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 I love that. And ultimately more successful then. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned way back when we were talking about juniors, you were talking about, uh, you know, helping them with goal setting. It, it sounds like a lot of this is sort of season planning. So what does it look like when you're, you know, helping athletes like figure out their goals and like kind of prepare for their season? Yeah, I, that is an important part of the year to identify when some of those things are going to happen. What are some of the events? Um, my approach is I think probably similar to a number of the publications, training Bibles, things that you can you can find in terms of identifying a few a few key events, uh, plotting those on the schedule. Um, my experience is most of those are big events, and so they don't tend to get canceled and moved and all that, which is nice um, because they're really the anchors for the season. And I say that because then there's all these other events. You're kind of B, C. I sometimes even have D events on there for for athletes, and those tend to be smaller events that don't always happen as planned. Um, and so we plot a lot of those, but don't necessarily create the plan around those, even kind of the B events, not as much, um, because from January through December, or, you know, whatever that, that race training season is, um, there are going to be a lot of changes. And so, um, I, I like to map out as much as we know. Um, and sometimes as we do that, we don't actually know when all those events are going to happen. Um, but we map that out ahead of time, trying to say, this is the main event. This is the type of demands that that event has. And then, you know, plan training accordingly, but then also look at what else do you have going on in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have athletes who family vacations at certain times of the year are kind of, you know, the tradition. And so putting those in, um, athletes with really busy work schedules at certain parts of the year. And so how do those line up with goals and planning, um, some of my athletes are great at being really structured part of the year, not interested in doing that all year long. So, you know, how do we manage motivation, interests, consistency over the course of the year by just being flexible with the approach? Um, so all that kind of goes into creating that annual plan. We anchor that around the key events, factor in what other life activities are happening, um, and then try and take into account what are some personal preferences and styles so that we create create a progression that is realistic and then ultimately always changes at some point. Yeah, in the exactly. process. And then it all just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it is really helpful. I think both, both for me as a coach and trying to plan that, but also for the athlete and, and focusing on how deeply do I invest in all these things? And at what point during the year, uh, are there times I say no to certain things because I'm right in the middle of stuff or is, you know, you know, let's be flexible and 
take advantage of something happening. Um, and so I think it helps provide focus on, on both ends of that. Mm-hmm. Now, by the time this goes up, we're going to be hitting sort of the off season for like road and mountain bikers. So when you're talking about that, like we'll call it structured, unstructured training, do you do mm-hmm. you usually help athletes like set guardrails for because I find like there's kind of two types of unstructured training people. There's the ones that are suddenly out there doing like 40 hour weeks because why not? Um, and then there's the one right. that just like the bike is just sitting collecting dust and it's just like, you know, it's a struggle to get out the door if it's not on the training plan. So how do you help people right. figure out that unstructured, um, but structured? Yeah, I definitely uh, try and find some guides on both sides of that. Um, you know, I fairly quickly learned as I was starting to coach, there was the athlete who would say, oh, you know, it's time for a break. And then <laughs> like, you were water skiing for six hours. Maybe, maybe that's not actually a break. Um, but the flip side of that is, uh, especially as we talk about end of the season, is I have found that if somebody goes through a training, you know, a, a whole race year, and they're often coming off of of kind of that race uh, a race block of that year when you're when you're taking one an end of the season break, they're not always exhausted physically. Um, they're more, it's more of a mental, um, fatigue, one from a structure, the day to day, the, you know, needing to do this. Um, yeah. And so a lot of those breaks are more a mental break than they necessarily are physically. So I have some of those people who are just, you know, they're, they're a rat on the wheel and they have to keep going. (laughs) That's just physically, mentally, they have to keep doing something. And I try and give some guides. So there's some downtime and and change of pace and things like that, but also just allow them like go do stuff. Um, And then I have the athletes who genuinely just like want to break from every part of it. Uh, And I often set those up by trying to just give them permission. Like it is okay to do absolutely nothing on put the bike away. And here's kind of your time frame. Like I will talk to you in three weeks. (laughs) Uh, So part of it is they don't even have to hear from me. And, um, and then that's probably the two extremes. And a lot of people are somewhere in the middle, but I tend to find athletes who either kind of just want to take a little bit of a break from it. Um, maybe do some things as they feel like it, or they just need to be active and, and try and give them some, you know, I always tell people, you know, don't break anything. Um, don't do anything epic. Uh, if you don't run, don't start. <laughs> Um, thank you thank you say it again louder for the people in the back (laughs) and and don't feel guilty for sitting around like it is okay to just do nothing um i say the running part because cyclists come from if you're not used to running and you don't do it uh your musculoskeletal system all the soft tissues are not used to running your fitness is really high but your musculoskeletal preparation for it is zero. And I always say you have to run to the musculoskeletal system because you can go do one run. Um, You won't be able to walk for a couple of days afterward, um, number one. And once you get through that, if you keep running, um, about two or three weeks down the road, you'll get injured. Mm -hmm. And and then you'll have to take some time off. So it's not that they can't run. um, And I'm actually, I'm a big supporter of it, but I was like, but you have to be super disciplined about doing it slowly. Yep. Yeah. We actually just did an episode on that a few weeks ago because that's, it's something that we see all the time. It's every cyclist we know just goes out and does a 10 mile run and it's just, it never goes well, but it just keeps happening. It's, we all have this like selective memory where we just forget 
how that <laughs> run went the last time. So like six months later, we're yeah. like, I can totally do it. I definitely did 10 miles once before. I can do it again. And then right. Like, oh, right. This hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And you know, and cyclists, they're in good enough shape. You can go do that. Um, and you're problem. actually probably going to do it fairly quickly. It's just the aftermath of all that is, is not pleasant. Yeah. yeah but you know, exactly. that's being an athlete too. You kind of kind of forget the bad part. Yeah. I mean, otherwise why on earth would we do any of this? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but on the, the kind of opposite note, uh, you know, one thing we talked about when I was talking to you about Alexi's training is the fact that he does a lot of his, uh, longer, slower miles, uh, with, uh, with a weighted pack, we're going to say mm. in the form you're of right, his- yeah. Uh, tiny little dachshund on his back so added right. uh, 12 pounds and I was grilling you about how the uh, aerodynamic disadvantage affects his training and if you uh <laughs> if you account for those extra extra pounds when you're making his training uh schedule <laughs> so yeah where where do you stand on dachshund watts I, I think the dachshund training partners are great um we don't really account for it you know, all the way back to the beginning of this conversation is you, we can measure the power. We know what sort of efforts happening. Um, are your speeds going to be as high? No, you know, there's a little bit more drag there. Um, however, in training speed is not typically a, a real key indicator of anything. Um, so I'm not real, really worried about that, you know, whether it's surface or bike or, you know, whatever that is, you know, speed is what it is. Um, if we're really focused on speed and things like that, you're probably more in it's not going to be as casual. You might skip the, the Datsun for that day. Um, but yeah, for the most part, we don't account for it. Where I do think it, it's important is, you know, whether you consider it a training partner or a novelty or whatever, it, it does make the adventure of training on a regular basis more enjoyable. Um, as long as, you know, you're up for, up for it. Uh, you're not going to find me taking my dog. <laughs> he's he's also 50 pounds. So again, it's say, a little different scale. Don't do it with like a golden retriever, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think my dog might actually, he was scratching trying to get in earlier, but I think he might actually like it. Um, well, you so, could get him one of those like burly dog trailers and just pull him right. behind you for some like added resistance training. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was um, actually debating uh, the other day because we we got a big van and we're doing a bunch of trips in it. And I was like, oh, no, Peter and I train at the same time and you can't leave a dachshund in a van like that's you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. So I started like looking into like dog baby joggers for a hot minute. <laughs> thinking, like, Well, maybe I could run with him. It'd be fine. And then I was like, no, you need yeah. to cool your jets and maybe just shift your training schedule a little bit. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I don't need the dogs. Well, I have seen stuff. people pulling dogs in their uh, in their burly. So, you know, you okay. wouldn't be the first. Yeah, yeah. I, I am like, I am still kind of debating and I might try to borrow a stroller from a friend and see how, how he likes it yeah. we'll to, to be determined. I feel like, yeah, I mean, like I can be like the, the running version of, of Alexi with, with my, my dachshund. So, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah. But I think some of those tricks, maybe we don't use them enough in terms of how do I enjoy this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do I take care of other people? Uh, you know, yeah. people, pets, other things, how do I account for them in my training? I think oftentimes we think about, I leave to train. Um, and I think it's harder sometimes to account for those other things, but if there's a way of incorporating them that makes it more fun, I think those are great. Um, yeah. you know, ultimately consistency is one of the things that is just a huge 
determiner of how successful you're going to be in, in working toward and reaching goals. And if we can make it fun in some way, you know, abs- go for it. I think, I think those are really important. And I think we often focus on sitting on the trainer and churning out the easily measurable, easily watched sort of metrics. And we don't think about how do we also keep it fun? Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of ways to change it. And it's probably difficult because for, for each of us, it's different. I'm not going to be training with the Datsun anytime soon. Um, but there's probably other things I could find that would make it, make it more fun. Uh, and I think those are questions we should sometimes ask ourselves, like, is there a way to make this more fun that you know, isn't necessarily within the norm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny. I find again, it seems like there's like the two schools of thought on so many of these things. And it doesn't seem like there are that many people that sort of sit in the middle, but there's so many people who all of their training almost needs to be in this group environment on a group ride Mm -hmm. at a weekly race. Like just every training session is like with people and never just Mm -hmm. like doing the like solo, just like the stuff that's on the plan. And then there's the people that are so obsessive about the plan that they just don't ever ride with anyone. (laughs) So I think what, what we're kind of talking about here is finding that like, middle ground of where we're getting in the effective training that we actually need. You know, Alexi doesn't mm-hmm. bring Willie on his super hard interval rides. Uh, but then for the the longer endurance rides, you know, Willie's along, he's out with friends and that's yeah. like a good balance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's so true. There are definitely ways to break that up. Um, and that's when I have new athletes I work with, that's one of the things I, I kind of immediately look for and ask questions about is, you know, what is their balance in those? Because there's a value in both of them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to tell people we need some of the individual training, some of the group training, um, and that if you're doing only one or only the other, that's where, you know, we need to move toward the middle of that. Um, just cause you're missing out on some of the some of the training benefits that come from, from both contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. It does tend to be one or the other. Yeah. Um, and okay. We've, we've kind of talked about the trainer a little bit. So before we wrap up, I know we're not quite in the off season yet, but we're getting towards mm-hmm. it. And I know you're from a pretty big cross country skiing area. So what are your feelings on the cross country? We'll say cross country skiing or just cross training in general in the off season. Um, I love crust training just generally for a whole lot of reasons. Um, one, I think it's, you know, we talked about the off season break and people, some people need to be active. And so it gives them a chance to do something else, uh, without, you know, continuing to be on the bike and things like that. Um, so mentally, I think it's really helpful physically. It's super helpful. Um, cycling does not include a large range of movements. You know, you're not moving side to side. You're not going up and down. I mean, you basically just, you pedal. And the rest of you really doesn't move that much. So our range of motion isn't very good. We do zero weight, um, weight bearing activity, which isn't good for, for bones and ligaments and things like that over the long term. Um, so doing some weight bearing activity is, is healthy. Uh, also, it's good. Strength training is, is helpful, essential <laughs> in some levels. Um, if you are over 35, I'm sorry, but you are old physiologically. <laughs> And you need to be doing some strength training Um, and do what I say, not what I do. Um, So so if without some, some focused strength work and things like that, um, you start to lose muscle mass as you get older now with exercise and, and, and cycling and things like that, you're going to reduce that. But strength training is, it's really important in terms of just longevity and health Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, flexibility again is going to be really helpful because we don't get a lot of that within cycling. Um, 
as we age, we tend to lose agility, we tend to lose quickness. And so doing some other activities where we work on, on being quick and, and working on balance and things like that, um, those are helpful for just avoiding falls, for being healthier as you get older. Um, and those are our habits and skills we, we develop and maintain as we're 35 and 40. You can start to build those as you're 60 and 70, but if you've started at a higher point and you're working at maintaining, you're going to longevity is better. So the cross training, I think is super important. Um, just like we talked about different disciplines of cycling, you learn things better. There are activities you can do off the bike to develop quickness, to develop uh, balance and things like that, that then can translate and help you, you know, corner better on the mountain bike or, uh, you know, be more explosive in, you know, hills, sprints, anything like that. Um, so I think there's just so many opportunities with cross training that I'm a huge advocate of it. In terms of cross-country skiing, um, that's something I love to do. And I think as we think about off-season and, and trying to change pace, uh, that it's super helpful to find something that you enjoy doing. Um, because I am not somebody who loves to sit on a trainer for hours at a time, for even 30 or 40 minutes at a time. And so I would much rather grab some skis and go ski. And, um, I'm working on some strength, some balance, some stability, some range of motion, um, that I'm not getting in other ways. And so it, it's kind of just a great cross training activity, fantastic aerobically, you know, developing endurance, um, you know, even VO2 max. Um, my caution to cyclists is always that, uh, bike is super easy to ride. You know, you, it, you get on, it, it makes you turn the circles. Whereas in cross country skiing, like swimming, it's just super technique intensive. And so there's a steep learning curve as you get going. Um, I enjoy going to to ski races and seeing bike racers who have just started. Uh, it's not a pretty sight. They're not good at it. Uh, sometimes they have incredible aerobic engines and they go quickly. Some of them stick with it and they get really good at it. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. I, I know some guys from Michigan who started out bike racing, really strong bike racers. I saw them skiing. I was like, ouch, that's ugly. That's painful to watch. <laughs> but you're still going really fast. If you figure this out, you're going to be like really fast. And a couple of them have figured it out and they are really good cross country, like really fast, kind of yeah. like top in the state, good regional skiers. Like top in the state in Michigan is like pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. They're like really good skiers now. And they took it up pretty late, but you know, they they understood that the need to work on it. They dedicated the time. But cross-country skiing is not a small, you don't just dive in. You know, if you want to take up running, work at it slowly, but anybody can run. Um, cross-country skiing is you know, the equipment side is it's not super hard, but it is a very different kind of scene than, than taking care of your bike. Uh, and the technique is, is super critical. Um, yeah. And some people take to that. It's not that cyclists can't, but you know, you're not, it's, it's, it's a different mentality, I guess. And if you adjust, it's great. Um, yeah, I'd much more rather spend the time outside enjoying the winter in Michigan than, than be inside in the trainer. Um, but, you know, I have athletes who love to ride in the snow and they have the boots and the clothes and the gloves oh, yeah. and the overmits and the everything. And they will ride outside six, seven days a week because that's what they love. Um, and so when it comes to that offseason stuff, find things you enjoy. That's And I try and work with my athletes on that. Take some downtime. That's OK. 
Um, but definitely try and do some cross training. I think that's really important in terms of performance, in terms of just kind of changing gears mentally, um, and for long-term just general wellness and health and fitness. I think that's super, super important. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think even just the cross training, even if it's just like some of that, like body weight strength or flexibility and stuff, at least you're staying in that consistency mindset, because I think like, mm -hmm. I even have this after big races when I have like two weeks off from running, because I mean, you need to, mm -hmm. you know, recovering takes a lot longer from like a hundred mile or running. Um, right. It's so easy to get out of the habit of doing anything. Suddenly you have time yes. back in your day and you're like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I should just, what it have is. I been doing? Um, so I find like keeping that stuff in at least just helps that way when you're ramping back up, it's less of like mm -hmm. a jolt to your system, both mentally and physically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those habits are really important for people, I think, mm -hmm. um, and, and hard to change. Sometimes easy to get out of, harder to get back into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's easy to substitute some of those activities. So you mm -hmm. say, you know, I have training time. I typically train at whatever time it is. And maybe it's not an hour and a half or two hours that you would have spent on that day. Maybe it's 20 minutes, but, um, you know, you got to get ready for the activity and, and it's mm -hmm. a change of pace and you still have some extra time in your evening or morning. Exactly. Or that yeah. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, before we get going, tell everyone where they can find you on the interwebs here. You know, I'm pretty old school. If you want to find me, um, the website is just Develo Coaching, D-E-V-E-L-O coaching.com. Uh, I sometimes update that. Um, <laughs> I've been so fortunate. I work with a lot of athletes in my area and through kind of people I know from my athletes. Um yeah. And I'm, I, you know, I spend a lot of time being a dad. And so I basically coach and dad and I don't, I don't spend a lot of time online. <laughs> so if you're looking for a sweet Instagram feed, I am, I am not your guy. There's going to be no stories or pics there. No, for that, just head over to Alexi's and you can see that's, the, that's right. there, the fruits of Lucas's coaching labors <laughs> on yeah, Alexi or Sir Willie the Leaders. Yeah, I can't. I try and do what I do well. And if I'm not going to do it well, I just don't do it. Very smart. Very smart. <laughs> I, I'm attempting right now to get more into like video because everyone seems to be doing these reels and I, I'm already about to like just huck my camera out the window. So right there with you. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think just like cycling, you know, we, we sometimes look at these and we think it comes easy, just like when you watch a professional athlete and those things actually take work. So you much You got to practice. So much work. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like I said, you know, if it's going to take that much work, I've only got so much time. And if I'm not going to do it well, then, you know, why do it poorly? hundred percent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me for this, this awesome talk. You kind of, we got to hit on all of my favorite topics here. So <laughs> that was awesome. <clears throat> well, I appreciate uh, getting to have an opportunity to chat training. It is always a good time thinking about you know, what, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and there's not, you know, there's never just one way to do it. If, yeah, I mentioned earlier, the per perfection and ideal don't really exist. We always kind of have to think about what our scenario is mm -hmm. and what works well for us. Um, and yeah, I was, I, I like trying to explore, um, different ways to consider how we, how we do the job well without worrying about whether it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, hopefully we'll see you at the races soon here. I hope so. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 